listening to the Bible 126 show. you're looking for for this particular thing do you want this you know deep and you know high there or do you looking for something a little bit lighter to play with i don't know darling but i'll do whatever i'm talking away because i am voiceover man oh no to infinity and beyond and much of that and all of this talking 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 hello in the the world world. this is (coughs) saying hello to the guys in the studio pushing the knobs good morning in a world (coughs) in a world where time forgot where man is insignificant in the whole run of things. Is that the kind of thing we're looking for here? During the course of one week, the situation in the Middle East has deteriorated dramatically. It's beyond our understanding. Centered around the city of Jerusalem, events touching the lives of every living creature on Earth. The message is a warning. How could you not be completely absorbed by that little trailer? And I'm very pleased to be back here. Certainly, the statement, only the wise will understand and live, is enough to grab your attention. The producers very kindly uh, approached me, I think because I'm a bit of a sceptic, uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly religious. It's a topic that is so, so interesting. They asked me uh, if I would like to go on the journey of a lifetime. How could I refuse? So now I have this dossier with lots of documents in, and uh, I'm not given too much uh, information because together we're all going to explore this. But I have looked at a sort of uh, an overview uh, of where we're going. And if, if this transpires to be true, it's going to be life-changing for all of us. There are those who claim that ancient civilizations have recorded visitations from mystical beings, visitors from other worlds and dimensions. They say that they came to warn mankind of future events, events that will affect our very existence. 
May 14, 1948, the first in the series of these events have become international news. It is claimed that now over 100 events have seen fulfillment with deadly accuracy. Tumultuous events are beginning to take place. Things are beginning to assemble that can place the human race in a situation it's never quite been in before in the same way to the same degree. But most people are so captivated by their own world and their own self-interest, their own pursuits, they're not seeing what's really happening, the gathering storm. There have been several major points in history where people thought the end of the world was impending and biblical prophecies were being fulfilled, but the world did not end. This time, it's different. The missing ingredient the previous times was Israel. That's no longer missing. It tells us not simply what is going to happen, but what we need to do concerning it or with regard to it. God gives the prophecy for our best interest so we will know what kind of action to take in anticipation of these events. The question is, is it real? Is it actual? Is it so? If it is actual, if it is real, if it is so, that would be analogous to somebody saying, why should I care if there is a shadow on my x-ray? Why should I worry about a blood chemistry or a medical examination? What's it to me? If it's real, if it's accurate, if it is so, its consequences become unavoidable to you. These events that are overtaking the contemporary world, particularly focused on the Middle East, will be universally cataclysmic if the scriptures are correct. It will affect everyone on the planet, either directly or indirectly in some way. The consequences will be inescapable. You need to know what it means for you. Today, in the environment we live in, people cannot say, who cares what happens on Wall Street? Who cares what happens in the city of London or with the banking crisis? Directly or indirectly, you're going to be affected by it. It's going to affect everything from what you purchase to your family holidays, to your retirement, to your pension. You can't say, Wall Street is so far removed from me, or what happens in international banks is so far removed from me, it's of no consequence to me. It is of consequence to you. We'll multiply that a thousandfold. That is biblical prophecy. It does sound like a lot of science fiction. However, some of the headings that I've already seen are things that are, are happening now. So, in order to begin this journey, I think the first thing that we need to do is investigate the scrolls. Let's see if they can be authenticated. Let's see if they are what they profess to be. Dr. C. Ambira, I'm lecturing early Jewish studies at the University of Exeter, the Department of Theology and Religion. I, I read quite a few languages, Sumerian, Akkadian, Ugaritic, various Aramaic dialects, uh, obviously Hebrew and Greek, Arabic. As you can see, we're in Jerusalem because this is where the Dead Sea Scrolls are kept, at the Israel Museum at a specially built place called the Shrine of the Book. Well, there's no doubt as to the authenticity of both the Old and New Testament. They are documents from antiquity. The Dead Sea Scrolls have shown us 
uh, that the Bible, the books of the Old Testament certainly existed more or less in the same form that we have them now in 2nd, 1st century BC. The New Testament content-wise is easily a genuine 1st century CE Jewish book. The Bible is clearly the most important book ever written. It's extremely special. It's a unique document written in three different languages uh, by many, many different people from very different social and geographical backgrounds over a long period of time. It's a remarkable document that coheres very well. And you can see the different personalities of these different people coming through. You read the Hebrew of Jeremiah. It's very different to the Hebrew of Ezekiel. And yet, despite that, when you step back and look at the whole thing, it has a remarkable cohesion to it. So the point is, you cannot prove that the Bible is historical in every respect. That's not possible. It's putting an unfair burden of proof on the Bible, an unrealistic one. But the, point, the other point is that nothing has been discovered that has disproved the Bible. And actually, a lot of things which have been discovered lend the Bible a certain credence. The prophet Daniel predictively alluded to something developed and expanded by Jesus, where people would become so absorbed with day-to-day -day life, their own careers, their own family plans, their own marital plans, their own ambitions, that they would become oblivious to things eternal or any interest in God. Jesus compared this to the days of Noah. People would be so encompassed in what was going on in their own personal lives that they didn't think outside of the parameters of their own self-interest to the point that when things began happening, when events that they were warned of began to transpire, when they should have been getting ready to escape or should have been preparing for what was going to come, they were just so engrossed in their own world, they were not prepared except for the faithful remnant. The same as there were people who understood the events of the time in Daniel's day, there will be people in that character in the last days who will do the same thing. They'll be able to understand, but we're warned by Daniel none of the wicked will understand. We're also warned by Daniel, there will be an escape. So, on that sobering thought, let's proceed. I'm now going to read our first three prophetic events. Israel will be dispersed, despised, and regathered. And these particular events are apparently a sign to the world. The apocalyptic countdown has begun. As Jesus warned, as Daniel predicted, the Romans would destroy Jerusalem and Jews became evicted progressively in the first and second century from Jerusalem and from the area of southern Israel. They were dispersed far and wide, certainly throughout Europe, Asia, even into Africa and into the New World. This happened. Then the Lord will scatter you among all nations, from one end of the earth to the other. Among those nations you will find no repose no resting place for the sole of your foot. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both night and day, never sure of your life. History has been plagued by anti-Semitism towards the Jews. This hatred of the Jews, we hate you. Jews were persecuted in every nation in which they lived. It's not even logical. And it is predicted in the Torah of the Jews, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Leviticus chapter 26, that these things would happen to the Jews. And the ugly history of anti-Semitism is foretold there.
Isaiah wrote about this acutely, and Jesus, in no uncertain terms, spoke of the fact that they would have to come back to the land and to their capital. It was predicted, and it happened. It says in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 21, I, this is God speaking, and I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, uh, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them back into their own land. Now, the point of this passage is there's never been a point in history where the Jews have been gathered back to the land of Israel and been given back their land and given back their nationhood from all the nations round about, except in 1948. How can this nation be reborn in a day? How can the Jews go back to this ancient capital after being scattered among the nations for nearly two millennia? The scriptures said that would happen. When you see the Jews back in the land of Israel and back in their ancient capital of Jerusalem, according to the New Testament, that is a sign of the end. Jews were yearning to go back to Israel. For centuries, we direct our hearts toward Jerusalem, the navel of the world to us. Jews were hoping to come to Jerusalem all along so this is really a fulfillment of a prophecy. When the words of the prophets come out of the book and materialize and become reality, and the Jewish people come back home to their homeland and establish the Jewish state for the first time in 2,000 years, nothing comparable to it in the history of mankind. This is uh, Rabbi Richman, uh, and he says, If you had told a Jew who was about to enter the gas chamber that Israel would soon become a nation again and that the Jews would be the, on the other side of the gun for the first time in 2,000 years, you would not have had to put him in it because he would have died laughing. For them, this was impossible, for they were a people with no hope. So we've looked at the prophecies of dispersion, and certainly there's every evidence to show that the Jews were dispersed from Israel. We've looked at them being despised. Uh, Adolf Hitler doing his very best to get rid of every Jew on the planet. Uh, hating them with a passion. Why? The head of Hezbollah says, if all the Jews gather in Israel, it will save us the trouble of going after them worldwide. Why do people hate them? Why is there such a strong anti-Semitic movement in, in the world? And the regathering, of course. Uh, 1948 sees the rebirth of Israel. Uh, it's interesting how the prophecies seem to be pretty accurate. This is a prophecy from Zechariah, uh, and it's about two and a half thousand years old. And in the day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all peoples. All who lift it or burden themselves with it shall be sorely wounded, and all the nations of the earth shall come and gather together against it. Israel itself, the very existence of Israel, of course, if you look at the history, is problematic. 
for Muslims across the region because it was a country uh, that um, was that 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 had many faiths within it. Uh, it, it it's it's uh, the claims to that land are contested and they remain contested. So, a, a state Israel that claims to have single claim over that land and a claim that is based upon a single religion, namely Judaism, is, a, is, is problematic for others in that region who also have some claim to that, to that land. So there's a history that goes back not just into the 20th century, but for thousands of years. This situation is the focus of much international media and diplomatic attention in the current world today. It's unbelievable that a relatively small city in a relatively small country is getting such a disproportionate amount of focus uh, continually, almost daily, in international media news. Let's understand certain things. Jerusalem is sacred to people of three separate faiths primarily. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. All of them have, over the centuries, made historical and religious claims to the city for different reasons. It is for sure the original settlers of this particular city were the Jebusites, who no longer exist, but King David, of course, finally captured Jerusalem from the Jebusites. And there had been a Jewish presence even earlier, which Islam acknowledges going back to the patriarchal period of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth. The Jews are the oldest indigenous people that we have to be here. Islam essentially came here following the Islamic invasions after the time of Muhammad in the 7th and 8th century. It was not primarily Arab, however. It largely was Turkish through most of its history and remained such throughout the period of the Ottoman Empire until it was conquered by the British under General Alibi in the First World War. The process continues. And though we were facing a major catastrophe, and the feeling was that the experiment of establishing a Jewish state was about to come to an end, somebody from above, someone from above had other plans. And within six days, we managed to overcome our enemies in each and every one of our borders and to reunite Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish people, the capital of the state of Israel, but the capital of God in the world, as was announced 3,000 years ago by King David. So, despite the huge resources of the Syrian, Egyptian and Jordanian military against a very tiny, limited Israeli army, Jerusalem fell back into Israeli hands in 1967 to become the capital of Israel again, even though the rest of the world would insist that Israel's capital is Tel Aviv. Jerusalem is not a settlement. It's our capital. Moving on, Zephaniah. Uh, and this is taken about 622 BC. Then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. When I ask you, Mashmech, what is your name? I speak to you in biblical language. Yeah, maybe you can say that this is a miracle. You brought people from all corners of the earth, uh, speaking, I don't know how many dozens of languages into one country, and you revived this beautiful sleeping beauty uh, into uh, a language of use. Uh, the dossier also tells me about another prediction by the prophet uh, Ezekiel. Uh, some 2,600 years ago, 
and says that in the last days the ancient Jewish currency of the shekel will be revived. And guess what? Dispersed, despised, regathered with Jerusalem as its capital, language restored, and of course the shekel. All predicted, all true. So, you can look at this two ways right now. Uh, we could say it's a bunch of coincidences, uh, or we can go further and think, you know, is there actually something in this? What do you think? Let's find out more. Nearly 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah predicted that water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. This is Isaiah, 740 BC. I will set pines in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together. In days to come, Israel will take root. She will bud and blossom and fill the world with fruit. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. Every prophecy is a powerful sign, a warning marker for the skeptic. From wasteland to Garden of Eden, the land will be transformed. It was predicted and it happened. predicted by the Hebrew prophets when the restoration of the nation would take place, there would be a national reforestation and Israel would become an agricultural producing nation. For the centuries when the Jews were not in control, the land was largely barren. When the Zionists first came here, it was largely either malarial infested swamp or else desert. In fact, the Turks imposed a tax on the growth of trees. Well, once Israel became a nation in 1948, there was an intense national program of national reforestation literally fulfilling this prophecy. And of course, Israel is the garden of the Middle East. You don't find so much aggregable land recovered from a desert wilderness anywhere else in the Middle East. Other nations would like to have it, but Israel has made the deserts blossom just as was predicted. First people who came here saw nothing but uh, salty water, desert, and it was quite a big adventure. Right from the beginning, they would try to establish uh, orchards. They tried to grow uh, all kinds of uh, orchards. When I came into, into the business, 
I found uh, plums, peaches, apricot, uh, pears, and all kinds of fruit. Now we have the biggest olive uh, orchard in the country, and we are exporting the olive oil into the world. And uh, it seems that it's go, uh, uh, going well. The mountains uh, will drip with sweet wine. All the hills shall flow. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. We see that happening now. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Just some of the produce from Israel. Pomegranates. Peppers. Marble cake. Baby peppers. Melons. Chocolate. And you can see somebody's already had a little nibble. Israeli wine. Smells good. Very good. Very good. The transformation is remarkable, but it's come about because of a lot of hard graft from people working in kibbutzes over the last 40 years and uh, financial investment and grown-up irrigation systems that have been put into place and so on, all of which every other country, uh, given the finances in that region, could achieve. The spooky thing is, only Israel has managed to get itself together in this capacity. Now, is that just something that would happen because they're a smart nation? Uh, or is it because it was foretold? So, Israel is in place again. Uh, Jerusalem is at the heart of everything. And the land is blossoming. And my dossier tells me the predictions we're going to look at now are events that have been happening for many, many years. However, what gives these signs greater importance is that in the latter or last days, these specific events will increase in intensity and destructive force. The scriptures speak of four kinds of calamity that will take place as we approach the end of the age. The first is largely environmental. Things such as natural disasters, pestilence, famines, things of this nature, increases of disease, food shortages, and so forth. So according to the prophecies, we will see an increase in catastrophes. Well, I don't think anyone here would disagree with the things that uh, have been happening. You no need to turn on your television and you'll see footage of floodings, tsunamis, earthquakes. Uh, it seems all too common. In fact, so much so, I think in the last five or ten years, we've seen so much television footage of these uh, natural disasters that you're kind of used to it. It's not shocking anymore. The other category or wars and rumors of wars, catastrophes that are man-made, most of them based on ethnic tensions between ethnic nations. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes, signs in the sun, moon and stars. Nations will be in anguish at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. Such things must happen. All these are the beginning of birth pains. So that means more natural disasters, 
more often. And it seems like we're seeing evidence of that now. Changes in society will trigger the final events where there will be no turning back. It was predicted and it is happening. Lawlessness, moral decline, and the greed is good culture. There are ambiguous prophecies in the New Testament concerning an increase in lawlessness that will take place in the last days. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure. Now that Western society has become increasingly post-Christian and neo-pagan, we find that with that trend, there is a trend towards the decline of established moral values. Child abuse, granny rape, the drug culture, mindless crimes. But again, it's ambiguous. It applies to what happens in society generally, but also what happens within the Christian church. Okay, taking a look at these predictions, I'm beginning to understand how indeed these prophecies are integrated. Uh, it requires one event to precede the next, and they build upon each other to make the bigger picture. So next on the list is uh, spiritual deception, uh, which is apparently one of the greatest signs that the end is closing in. Mass spiritual delusion will captivate millions as they seek signs and wonders, opening a door for the greatest delusion of all time. It was predicted and it is happening. Over the years, there's been an increase in the number of people that have contacted Reach Out Trust that feel they have been deceived by some churches that they went to, by some groups that they thought were Christian and were not, and they found that in the end, it's, it's not the truth as they were told it to be. And as we began to investigate and, and look at this, we found it very interesting that the Bible talks about a period of time, the, the end of the age. And it says that in this period of time, at the end of the age, this very deception that these people have is going to increase. The thing reiterated by Jesus the most was undoubtedly deception within the Christian church. Again, the false teachers, the false prophets, even false messiahs. Over the years, Reach Out Trust has seen an increase in the falling away of people within churches from true Christianity. They've moved away from biblical truth. Something has happened in recent years. The traditional gospel message has been maligned, even discredited by televangelists. Born again has become a household joke associated with religious con artistry. Unfortunately, people will tend to dismiss the traditional Christian message because of this financial con artistry that's conspicuous to everybody, ignoring the fact that Jesus himself warned it was going to happen. Many would come in his name and lead many people astray. This is something the scriptures speak of as the great apostasy, the departure from the truth. 
I think most of the blame for this should be set very squarely at the foot of Christianity, which, which as an established religion has done its best to completely discredit the Bible as a document and uh, make even the person of Jesus, who if you just ignore Christianity, Jesus is an extremely attractive personality with a lot of very good things to say, but people get put off investigating these things because of the way Christianity is and presents itself. And yet the Bible is the backbone to Christianity, is it not? Um, unfortunately, the uh, established institutionalized Christianity just tends to ignore the Bible. We are told this is associated with the advent of the man of lawlessness, one of the metaphors for the Antichrist. And people will actually be given over to believe in him by God as a judgment. In other words, if you want false prophets, God will cause you to believe one. If you want a false messiah, God will cause you to follow one. The coming of this lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. But who is he warning? He's warning people who claim to be Christians, who should know better. We are seeing an apostasy. We are seeing whole denominations that at one time were biblically based and held to a biblical morality, having gone into everything from not simply religious apostasy, but even moral debauchery and a fundamental lack of financial ethics. I had uh, no idea that people within the church were no longer really studying the Bible, which, uh, as I said uh, to Dr. Byro, I thought was, was their main book of rules, if you like. So if people aren't studying the Bible and are not knowing what it's saying, they're therefore relying on preachers who are preaching whatever seems to be on their mind and important to them on that day. As the world strains under the weight of humanitarian issues, mankind will desperately seek a leader, a savior, it was predicted. But will it happen? But it is clear to all concerned when it comes to nuclear weapons, we have reached a decisive point. This is not simply about America's interests. It's about preventing a nuclear arms race in the Middle East that could lead this region and the world down a hugely dangerous path. There will be a convergence of calamities, environmental, economic, political, and strategic, taking place, much of it centered in the Middle East. In desperation, the world will look to a political leader and a religious leader as some kind of a redeemer figure. It's curious that as we enter the world we're in now. New Agers are waiting for someone called Matriya. Muslims are waiting for the Mahdi. Buddhists are waiting for the fifth Buddha. Jews are waiting for the advent of the Messiah. Christians are waiting for the return of Christ. A spiritual counterfeit will come, quite possibly being all things to all people. He will be able to unite the world's faiths with a political agenda, coming as this messianic figure posing as having a capability of restoring prosperity and stability in an atmosphere of utter chaos that has people terrified. In their terror about what's transpiring environmentally, what's transpiring strategically and economically, they will look to a man instead of to God and they'll get one. This is the one the New Testament calls the man of sin, the Antichrist, and he will come to power assisted by a corrupted global religious system. Is there 
you know, the possibility of one world leader um, emerging. Well, I would say the country which has the greatest potential to create world peace, despite all the mistakes which it has made and is making, is the U.S. The people of the world can live together in peace. We know that is God's vision. Now that must be our work here on Earth. Thank you. And may God's peace be upon you. Thank you very much. Thank you. The world is hungry for peace. The world is hungry for leadership towards peace. I think, I think if people are expecting a single leader to come through and deliver, I think a year ago I would have said clearly the, the clearest candidate was Barack Obama. Um, then I think Barack Obama himself has demonstrated that the model of a single person coming through, knocking heads together, if you like, and then solving these issues, um, it, it, it's really never going to work. We need a leader and we need a core of people surrounding that leader, not just one man, but we need the leader to deliver the message. In other words, a new world order, um, not the sort that you hear about on conspiracy theory websites, um, not the sort that's all about chipping people and, you know, control of some inner coterie, but a new world order which actually works for everyone and creates prosperity and starts with regional infrastructures and eventually moves towards a proper, prosperous, uh, global civilization of which everyone on the planet can be proud and which leads to a new you know a, a new age for mankind i'm not saying that's what we're necessarily going to wind up with i'm saying that with the right kind of leadership well, I'm, I'm a positive person i mean it's very difficult not to you know to do this sort of work if you're not because you'd be constantly depressed but um no so 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 what you're really wondering about is the flip side I've presented the positive vision of the New World Order, and you're saying, what's the negative yes. side of the New yes. World Order? Yes. Oh, right, well, huh, yes. that's actually not so hard. You cannot move towards a world government without a crisis and without people losing faith in their you know, national sovereignty. They need to have confidence in something that will supersede that and that will rescue them, in essence. We could wind up in a situation where an attack by Israel on Iran actually triggers... Um, a series of orchestrated events around the world through Iran's proxies. As a result of that, we wind up with people being scared. And they'll be scared because the war is effectively, in that case, going to be brought to their doorstep. It's not something which is happening in the Middle East. It's not something which is happening, you know, on board a ship in the Straits of Hormuz. It's something which is actually happening in their day-to-day -day lives. And if there were a series of such orchestrated attacks, um, then I think you'd be looking, uh, looking at people wanting some kind of leadership, someone who could protect them. And then you would be looking at state control. They'll say, keep us safe. They will be handing themselves over to the state and saying, what can you do to keep us safe? And yes, that could result in, in the wrong sort of new world order. That could result in, in tyranny. That could result in the, the rise of, of leaders of the Hitler type. The victim of one world leader 
turning into a Hitler will be democracy, justice, freedom. There'll be nobody to fight that leader. In various countries during the 20th century, you had the rise of despots, you had the Hitlers, you had the Stalins, you had the Mao Zedongs, you had the Pol Pots. All at that stage, at the national level, could be contained. They caused, like Hitler, caused world wars, but there was a group of countries that fought against them, managed to stop them. Freedom was not the victim in the end. Democracy was not the victim in the end. Imagine no nation states, imagine one global government and someone like Hitler coming to power. What, what's to stop that? Who's to fight him? We hope that never happens because that what it would do for our civil liberties and what it will do for, you know, the nature of man himself is frightening. He, the Antichrist, also forced everyone, small or great, rich or poor, free or slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark. Revelation 20 verse 4 And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. Let's watch a film. The scriptures speak of a new kind of currency that will take place some would suggest in the form of some kind of a microchip on the forehead or on the right hand by which people will be able to buy and sell but not be able to buy and sell without it. Increasingly, financial institutions are looking to new technologies to cope with this problem of finding a means of currency that will function the way credit cards do but will not be a credit card. That will not be something that which you can easily counterfeit or easily defraud someone. Well, obviously, implantation is the direction these technologies are generally taking. The next revolution, unquestionably, is going to be nanotechnology. That's the ability to create structures that will manipulate matter at the atomic or molecular level. The way that could manifest is in uh, uh, various small chips, you know, uh, turning human beings uh, into walking technology. Implantation is already beginning to take place experimentally on humans. The essential technology already exists. Well, the book of Revelation tells us that will be a final currency. No one will be able to buy and sell without it. Whoever controls that technology will ultimately, fundamentally control our lives. And it is very much the case that ultimately it'll be government that does control and run all of those technologies. We see now, particularly with governments nationalizing various industries, keeping regulating uh, various industries, they will have control and those technologies will dominate and control our lives and can be used for nefarious purposes. It's a whole system that is designed to uh, collapse you down into a single official identity that the only way you can access certainly public services and increasingly live your life um, in, in a normal fashion would be if you were using your officially assigned sort of identity to uh, confirm facts about yourself. We're not against any particular technology per se, 
It's that once you've got these technologies in place, if you haven't got proper safeguards, if you haven't got proper oversight, if you've just got this basic presumption as pretty much all governments and companies seem to have, that once they've got the data, it's theirs, what they fail to see is that that data is ours. If it's about me, it's mine. Yeah? And if it's, you know, if it's going to do something or damage to anyone, you know, it's going to do damage to me. Yeah? Which is why it's so important that when it comes to control, the person who should be in control is me and you. And not some, you know, overarching international national, you know, system that says, oh, well, in order to, you know, earn your crust and pay for things and do this, that and the other, you have to basically live under a constant state of surveillance. This, this new e-passport, which has, you know, photograph and uh, a chip and antenna uh, embedded in the back of the photo page, uh, was introduced, they said, in order to enhance security. It does exactly the opposite. The government's very fond of pointing out that I think 20 or 21 out of 24 EU states have uh, an ID card. Uh, what they don't actually go on to sort of mention is the fact that the vast majority of those, 19 of those, were imposed on their populations or extended to cover the entire population under either Nazi or Soviet occupation or a homegrown dictator. Um, so, and we have to learn from history on this one. You know, we can't just assume because, oh, well, it's, it's the 21st century now, you know, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, all these people, you know, that's, that's all in the history books, that all happened then, it couldn't possibly happen again. I'm afraid that would be very, very naive. The very fact that one person can be identified as being a part of one group and another person can be identified as being another group can end up being a death sentence. So we've really got to examine whether these prophecies that were made, let's not forget, over 2,000 years ago, is the technology there when they were talking about, uh, Jacob was talking about the mark, uh, the mark being on the right hand, uh, or on the forehead, uh, the mark being a potential microchip containing your banking details, so your credit card or your credit history uh, and your ability to buy and sell. Well, when you examine it like this, you think, well, you know, this is, this is the technology is unquestionably there. I have two dogs. They're both chipped. Um, the wherewithal is there. It's a relatively simple process. Uh, and it it certainly can happen. It may probably be happening in test sites around the world as we speak. Scary to think about it. And another thing that crosses my mind is it's clearly stated that it's the right hand. Why would it be the right hand? What significance is that? And if you don't play ball with these people, you get your head chopped off. In what part of the world would that happen? Does that happen? It's certainly worth thinking about. Many will strive for peace in the Middle East, yet prophecy indicates Russia, Iran, Turkey, and others will war with Israel. It was predicted, but will it happen?
both the book of Revelation and the prophet Daniel speak of this last seven years of human history being divided into two halves. At the onset of this seven-year period, a peace treaty proposing to bring peace to the Middle East between Israel and the nations surrounding it will be inaugurated, which will be broken halfway through by this person whom we call the Antichrist. This person who's going to come, try to persuade the Jews he is some kind of a deliverer figure and bring a peace to the Middle East, but he will also not simply deceive Israel. He will deceive the nations. He will come as a man of peace, but he'll actually be a man of war. If you look at the history of the resolution of intractable conflicts, it's often the most ra radical people, the, the, the ones most stuck in the mud, mo most difficult to move, who in the end are the ones that create peace, primarily because th they are able to bring the majority of their constituency with them. I'm optimistic still that a, 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 a figure like Netanyahu can create consensus or, or, or move Israel in the right direction. Um, th that's not based on any fact because uh, I mean anybody that looks at the situation today, anybody you talk to will be quite pessimistic about the outcome. But um, solutions can come out from nowhere. If Israel is going to survive, it has to become part of a wider architecture and that is going to have to be orchestrated by the US. Too much blood has been shed. All of us have a responsibility to work for the day when the mothers of Israelis and Palestinians can see their children grow up without fear. When the holy land of the three great faiths is the place of peace that God intended it to be. Does the U.S. step up to the plate or doesn't it? We wait to see. We hope the news will be good because if not I see very very destabilizing effect for the region and for the world. Notice now how many people have pushed for peace treaties, and they've not worked, Oslo being one of them. Oslo 1, Oslo 2, Camp David, none of these peace treaties have been able to deliver what they promise, while well, none of them will be able to deliver what they promise. The worst is yet to come. Daniel also predicted that when these events do transpire, we are going to see Persia, that is Iran, emerging as a strategic threat to Israel's existence, leading up to some kind of a terrible conflict. Today, an unprecedented threat to humanity looms large. A radical Iranian regime armed with nuclear weapons could bring an end to the era of nuclear peace that the world has enjoyed for the last 65 years. I mean, yes, Ahmadinejad has made these statements, but again, they can be explained in terms other than desiring a nuclear holocaust. Do I really think, despite the rhetoric Ahmadinejad's used about um, about wiping Israel off the face of the earth and so on. I don't think so. I, don't th I really don't think that's what we should be worrying about. I think a more likely scenario for the exchange of nuclear weapons is things getting out of control. Uh, you've got the Israelis with nuclear weapons. They're unlikely to use them, I would say, first, but they might get into a threatened situation and then find that it's very difficult not to use them. If you had a situation in which Israel went to war with Iran, how is Iran going to respond? Well, it's going to respond through its proxies. And this is where you wind up with um, a global catastrophe. Because they do have capability. Whether we like it or not, they have capability in probably uh, on every continent, um, in every city, and maybe even in many smaller regions. 
around the world, and, and we know that. So they, it will be very difficult to prove who's doing what, but we will suddenly see at that moment a spark of international terrorist activity, much of which, some of which will be copycatting, much of which will be inspired as a result of, or, or orchestrated directly through, um, through Iran. So I think that is the greatest danger, and that's the thing that needs to be avoided. Why would Russia align itself with Iran when Russia itself is afraid of what Iran represents, Islamic fundamentalism? It does not seem to make any strategic sense or any logical sense, except that Russia could see Iran as a mechanism to bring about such an instability in the Middle East where Arab oil would no longer be reliable, and the value of Russian oil and natural gas would go through the roof, making Russia the new Saudi Arabia. That is one possible explanation some people have cited. Whatever explanation you wish to, wish to give to what seems to be illogical behavior by Russia, by arming Iran, by giving it certain kinds of technologies, one thing is for sure. We are told by Ezekiel, Russia, Turkey, and certainly the nations of Soviet Central Asia, as it was once known, will come into some kind of a military confederation with Iran in order to invade Israel, but it will fail due to divine intervention that will, in part, involve natural disasters. Now, Russia has actually uh, used Iran in many respects up to this point. Um, Russia has assisted them with the development of their nuclear program. The Iranians are clearly Islamic, uh, they are an Islamic revolution, and therefore they have a, a dangerous um, role to play in terms of uh, an, an, an example to the Central Asian states, where there's, again, very strong Muslim populations uh, which threaten the, um, the territorial integrity of Russia. Nevertheless, in terms of strategic relationship, it, Iran has oil, Iran is a big player in the region, there, there, is a, there is a possibility of Russia playing a distinctive role if they can develop a relationship with Iran. And so it, it tries to distance itself from the United States, who of course is a, has a very, very close relationship with Israel. That means that the Russians and the Israelis are not going to see eye to eye. Turkey rising as a potential enemy? Yes, it's possible. Turkey is one of the very few states that, Israel, that has been a, a friend of Israel within the Muslim world. If they lose Turkey, it isolates Israel much more. Russia signed an agreement with Turkey to build a $20 billion nuclear facility, 4.8 gigawatts, actually in Turkey. Russia will provide the expertise and will hold... 51% of the shares in this consortium. Now you tell me what that means for the region. Turkey actually has power, and its power, um, it has the power to create great peace in the region, actually, through its um, economic enterprises and Davut Lu's vision, their current foreign minister's vision. Um, but equally, that power could be used in the opposite way. And it, it, could, it could actually be a catalyst for war. So the prophecies seem to be quite accurate. Spooky. Is this all a coincidence? I'm thinking not. I don't know what you think. 
The constellation of global events are almost complete. The predictions are a clear, visible sign. Right, our next chapter. A mountain splits water from under a great temple, a gate sealed. On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley. On that day living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the Dead Sea and half to the Mediterranean Sea. The Hebrew prophet Isaiah said the return of the Messiah would actually commence in southern Jordan around the rock fortress city of Petra, but the Messiah would stand on the Mount of Olives. This exactly echoes what is said in the New Testament. When Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, he would return in the same way to the same location. And the Mount of Olives would split, presumably at the cleft where there's a known fissure. It's also predicted that water would come from underneath a water table in Jerusalem and flow in the direction of the Dead Sea. My name is Usher Aljo. I've been working in the site of the city of David for almost 10 years. I'm an archeologist trained at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Israel is situated along the Syro-African Rift, the fault line that separates between Europe and Africa. Earthquakes have affected this region from antiquity. The prophets talk about how in the end of days, an earthquake will split Mount Olives in half, and the waters of Jerusalem, like these below us, will both flow to the Dead Sea and to the Mediterranean. But where we are now, as we said, earthquakes have, have affected this region and have the potential of changing its topography. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. have to be a rebuilding of the temple in the book of Revelation chapter 11 as it were a tribulational temple it'll have to happen and as we speak there are yeshivas Jewish religious schools dedicated to resurrecting the ancient Levitical priesthood there's a temple institute that is in the process of collecting restoring designing the artifacts necessary to reintroduce Levitical worship it's underway even as we speak the Torah obligates us Make me a sanctuary and I will dwell among the people. And this is exactly what we are doing. We are trying to build the house of God, the third temple, as prophesied by the prophets, each and every one of them, because that is the center core of the book to respond to the command, to the obligation of the word of God. Make me a sanctuary and I will dwell amongst you. So we began with the major vessels showbread table, the incense altar, the menorah, the musical instruments, the vestments of the high priest. And step by step, we have already concluded over 70 of the vessels. If we only began 25 years ago with a handful of people, we presently have over 100,000 people who visit us annually. We have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people from all around the world who hook into our website daily and are trying to be part of this godly historical phenomenon. The time has come that the world be reunited around the one and only God where God has chosen Jerusalem. From the very first moment we actually begin, it should take between a year to two years to build.
Then the man, an angel, brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, the one facing east, and it was shut. The Lord said to me, This gate is to remain shut. We have a prophecy in the book of Ezekiel that the east gate would be, as it were, blocked up or plugged up. Um, Suleiman the Magnificent, understanding the Jewish belief that the Messiah would come through the East Gate, put a cemetery in front of it because Jews would be ritually defiled had they tried to enter through the East Gate via a cemetery, having even indirect contact with the corpse. But he also cemented it up, fulfilling this prophecy unbeknownst to him. However, God's Spirit will again enter through that gate at the end of the age. Despite the desires of many people over the centuries, really, to reopen it, it still remains closed, as Ezekiel prophesied it would. It's entirely visible today, again, opposite the cleft in the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Kidron Valley, in the wall of Jerusalem on the east side of the old city. Still there, just as Ezekiel said. Ezekiel again. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. This water flows towards the eastern region, and it goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the rivers flow. There will be large numbers of fish, because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Okay, so not all of this has come to pass yet. Uh, the temple is still to be built, uh, if it's to be built. Uh, but certainly looking at it, preparations uh, are very much underway, uh, down to finite detail. It's, it's almost as though uh, they're looking at the prophecies as an instruction manual uh, in terms of what to make for the Messiah. Uh, we've seen evidence of water under Jerusalem, so uh, something that was predicted two and a half thousand years ago seems to be based pretty much on fact it's all proving to be very very feasible and very possible and very spooky that it was predicted two and a half thousand years ago uh, when they didn't know about fault lines and we've just seen that Jerusalem is on top of a fault line uh, Israel didn't exist until 1948 so again the whole not we can't say coincidence some there's something going on here. There's something that is seemingly real about all these prophecies. Moving on, the rise of an eastern superpower and the construction of a great dam. Jesus speaks in his revelation to the Apostle John. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who have been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. Another revelation. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew 
is called Armageddon. The scriptures speak of the kings of the east invading the Middle East. Genghis Khan almost attempted this, but never did. It was not the proper time for it to happen. The only nations in the world that could assemble an army of 200 million obviously would be in the Far East. Some have speculated it's Sin, the ancient name for China. Be that as it may, it would have to cross the Euphrates River. Even as we speak, there is a dam in Turkey which could restrict or even block the flow of the waters into the Mesopotamian Delta, the Fertile Crescent, the Euphrates, that could literally make this particular prophecy happen. China is increasingly looking to the Middle East because of oil. I'm not necessarily saying it must be China, but it doesn't leave too many other possibilities. And certainly what we see happening is already beginning to materialize in terms of practical possibility. In terms of the technology and the dam and the drying of the Euphrates, it's uncannily uh, spooky that that could be done now. Uh, and again, how that could have been predicted. I don't know, what do you think? Despite frantic efforts, the world will witness the greatest Holocaust of all time. It was predicted, but will it happen? Well, here we are, here's the big one. Armageddon and the day the earth will stand still. Jesus speaks in Revelation 16, verse 16. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Jesus speaks as quoted by Matthew. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. There are all sorts of ways in which one can cut the cake, if you like. You could say, for example, that the Americans and Russians, between them, possess 96-97% of the world's nuclear arsenals. Um, in that sense, if there, was if there was going to be an accident or some war and all-out nuclear exchange, then it's most likely to be between those two. Out of the, the states with nuclear weapons, it's very difficult to pin, uh, and, uh, though I would say of them, Pakistan is probably the, the, the biggest problem. But then again, Israel, I haven't mentioned Israel. Israel exists in a very difficult relationship with its neighbours, and although none of its neighbours yet have a nuclear weapon to balance them, and nobody really seriously thinks that Israel will launch nuclear weapons anytime soon, it could very quickly get into some sort of conflict situation where, um, where nuclear weapons may come into play. That's more likely the closer Iran gets to acquiring a nuclear weapons capability. And that Iranian-Israeli relationship is one that I think we need to watch over the next few years as a potential spark point.
Jeremiah 25, verse 33. At that time, those slain by the Lord will be everywhere, from one end of the earth to the other. They will not be mourned, or gathered up, or buried, but will be like refuse lying on the ground. I have the vision in my head of millions of slain bodies lying around, whether it's as a result of some massive device, megaton bomb, nuclear bomb. But from what this is saying, it is talking about the whole globe. It's utterly frightening and sadly possible. If nuclear weapons were used, either in the Middle East or I would say in the India-Pakistan relationship, you would, or, or if you had a nuclear weapon explode in London or New York or Paris or any city in the world, it would be a game changer, you know, September the 11th multiplied 100. It, and the reason for that is because people would recognise the vulnerability of modern society. You would get a re significant immediate reduction in the confidence of urban living. You know, you would get a change in the way people related to each other on the international scene. And then you would have, you'd have two significant options. You'd have we all need nuclear weapons to defend ourselves option, business as usual, but actually everybody engaging, and a dis distinct deterioration of security, and then a sort of Mad Max scenario. Or you could get a recognition that actually the problem, the threat from nuclear weapons is the nuclear weapons themselves, and we need to re-triple uh, or multiply our efforts to get rid of them once and for all. And um, I know that's an optimistic scenario. You know, nuclear weapons are used and then everyone wake, wakes up to their senses. But we will face that choice. We are specifically warned by Jesus that unless he returned, no human flesh would be saved. The human race would bring itself to the point of extinction. Technologically, that was not possible until the 20th century. It is easy to see how if there is a nuclear exchange in even one area of the world, it can easily spill over into a tinderbox effect globally. It was not possible either strategically or technologically up until the 1940s, but it's certainly possible now. Well, that certainly put a very harrowing image in my head. I don't know about you. We know that the Middle East is a political hotspot. Uh, we know the oil is an issue. Um, we know that mankind certainly has created the ability uh, to wipe itself out, um, with the Russians having something in the region of 13,000 nuclear warheads, the Americans 9,000. In Britain we've got something like 160. The technology is there, the firepower is there. It could happen, it could happen. It's an awesome thought, and I'm sure ever since the nuclear bomb was conceived, it's been a fear in the back of everybody's mind, certainly mine. Okay, so far we're only really skimming the surface of what is a truly, truly fascinating subject. I always thought it was going to be 
fascinating from the moment I was approached to uh, uh, to go on this journey. However, coming so far, it's uh, it's very interesting. It's very scary, and a lot of me is thinking, yeah, how can we stop this? How can we prevent it? I'm not entirely sure whether we can. So let's sum up what we've looked at so far. As Jesus warned, as Daniel predicted, the Romans would destroy Jerusalem and Jews became evicted progressively in the first and second century from Jerusalem and from the area of southern Israel. History has been plagued by anti-Semitism towards the Jews. This hatred of the Jews, we hate you. Jews were persecuted in every nation in which they lived. It's not even logical. And it is predicted in the Torah of the Jews, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, and Leviticus chapter 26, that these things would happen to the Jews. I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, uh, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them back into their own land. Now, the point of this passage is there's never been a point in history where the Jews have been gathered back to the land of Israel and been given back their land and given back their nationhood from all the nations round about, except in 1948. And though we were facing a major catastrophe, and the feeling was that the experiment of establishing a Jewish state was about to come to an end, someone from above had other plans. And within six days, we managed to overcome our enemies in each and every one of our borders and to reunite Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish people, the capital of the state of Israel, but the capital of God in the world, as was announced 3,000 years ago by King David. You brought people from all corners of the earth, uh, speaking, I don't know how many dozens of languages, into one country, and you revived this beautiful sleeping beauty uh, into uh, a language of use. In the last days, the ancient Jewish currency of the shekel will be revived. And guess what? Nearly 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah predicted that water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. First people who came here saw nothing but salty water, desert. Once Israel became a nation in 1948, there was an intense national program of national reforestation, literally fulfilling this prophecy. And of course, Israel is the garden of the Middle East. You don't find so much aggregable land recovered from a desert wilderness anywhere else in the Middle East. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and fill the face of the world with fruit. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes, signs in the sun, moon and stars. Nations will be in anguish at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. Such things must happen. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure. 
Over the years, Reach Out Trust has seen an increase in the falling away of people within churches from true Christianity. They've moved away from biblical truth. Whole denominations that at one time were biblically based and held to a biblical morality, having gone into everything from not simply religious apostasy, but even moral debauchery and a fundamental lack of financial ethics. There will be a convergence of calamities, environmental, economic, political, and strategic taking place. In desperation, the world will look to a political leader and a religious leader as some kind of a redeemer figure. The people of the world can live together in peace. We know that is God's vision. We need a leader and we need a core of people surrounding that leader, not just one man. But we need the leader to deliver the message. The scriptures speak of a new kind of currency that will take place. Some would suggest in the form of some kind of a microchip on the forehead or on the right hand by which people will be able to buy and sell, but not be able to buy and sell without it. The essential technology already exists. Well, the book of Revelation tells us that will be a final currency. No one will be able to buy and sell without it. We are going to see Persia, that is Iran, emerging as a strategic threat to Israel's existence. We are told by Ezekiel, Russia, Turkey, and certainly the nations of Soviet Central Asia will come into some kind of a military confederation with Iran in order to invade Israel, leading up to some kind of a terrible conflict. Israel is situated along the Syro-African Rift, the fault line that separates between Europe and Africa. The prophets talk about how, in the end of days, an earthquake will split Mount Olives in half, and the waters of Jerusalem, like these below us, will both flow to the Dead Sea and to the Mediterranean. The Torah obligates us. Make me a sanctuary and I will dwell amongst you. And this is exactly what we are doing. We are trying to build the house of God, the third temple. From the very first moment we actually begin, it should take between a year to two years to build. Despite the desires of many people over the centuries really to reopen it, it still remains closed as Ezekiel prophesied it would. It's entirely visible today, again, opposite the cleft in the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Kidron Valley, in the wall of Jerusalem on the east side of the old city. Still there, just as Ezekiel said. The only nations in the world that could assemble an army of 200 million, obviously, would be in the Far East. Some have speculated it's Sin, the ancient name for China. Be that as it may, it would have to cross the Euphrates River. Even as we speak, there is a dam in Turkey which could restrict the flow of the waters into the, the Euphrates that could literally make this particular prophecy happen. I'm not necessarily saying it must be China, but it doesn't leave too many other possibilities. If nuclear weapons were used, it would be a game changer. You know, September the 11th multiplied 100. We are specifically warned by Jesus that unless he returned, no human flesh would be saved. The human race would bring itself to the point of extinction. It was not possible, either strategically or technologically, up until the 1940s. But it's certainly possible now.
The same as there were people who understood the events of the time in Daniel's day, there will be people in that character in the last days who will do the same thing. They'll be able to understand. But we're warned by Daniel, none of the wicked will understand. We're also warned by Daniel, there will be an escape. And so the New Testament likewise teaches, when these events begin to unfold, at some point, there will be, for the righteous, a way of escape. Well, we've all seen the same thing, and it's fascinating. First of all, we've got to accept whether or not what we've seen is going to come to pass in the future, in the not-too-distant future, from the looks of things. I think there are only two conclusions that you can make. One is that it's all rubbish, uh, it, it's, it's not true and it's not going to happen and therefore we have nothing to worry about we might as well go off and say well that was quite entertaining and have a good rest of your lives um, which is fine the other is that you accept that this is the future and then you have to work out how you're going to deal with it uh, and what you're going to do about it uh, and that to me is the hardest easier to walk away I found this a most amazing journey, uh, really, really interesting and worrying all at the same time, but it's left me wanting to find out more. Uh, I'm now going to leave you in the very capable hands of Jacob. I want people to examine the evidence and come to a conviction for themselves. I honestly believe, I'm in fact absolutely convinced that people who will honestly examine the evidence with due consideration will be astounded at the conclusion they will arrive at. Thank you.